Hi, this is William Ramsey. The following is an interview I did on Hey GB Radio on August 14th of 2010, discussing my then recently published book, Prophet of Evil, Aleister Crowley, 9-11, and the New World Order. Again, this is an interview from seven years ago, and when I, right after I published my first book. Thank you and enjoy. Good afternoon. This is GB with Hey GB Radio. We are broadcasting live today. And uh, we are doing a, uh, a pretty interesting show today. Um, we are having uh, William Ramsey on with us today, talking about his uh, book, Prophet of Evil, Aleister Crowley, 9-11 and the New World Order. Uh, so we're going to bring him on and uh, discuss some of the uh, aspects about the New World Order uh, in, in connection with Aleister Crowley, who we know is... Uh, fairly influential with uh, Masonic orders and <clears throat> and things like that. Um, we're going to start right off and get get right into it. Um, I, I have to say I'm pretty pretty interested in hearing what uh, Mr. Ramsey has to say about his book, uh, going into a little bit of depth uh, about Crowley's past. Um, we're going to bring William on. William, are you with us? I'm here. Can you hear me? I can, yeah, yeah. Thanks for coming on the show. It, it was really interesting to uh, hear from you and and uh, read up on some of the uh, work you've done. Uh, so we're just going to kind of get after it. Yeah. Um, Great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, I guess first off, uh, as far as uh, the New World Order is concerned, as far as uh, getting into uh, this connection with Aleister Crowley, uh, I guess first off. If you want to start off maybe letting us know what kind of led you into uh, exploring Crowley and what got you interested in uh, this connection with the New World Order uh, to begin with. That's a good question. I uh, was very interested in 9-11. I uh, realized after a couple of years that the official explanation was a fraud, and so I researched and studied it as much as I could. I was really just reading everything I could on the Internet. I got a lot of David Ray Griffin's books, and I kept seeing these numbers that were associated with the event. September 11th happened on the 11th. There was a Flight 11. So I kept seeing these 11s and 93 and 77s. Uh, they kept popping up as I did my research, and there was uh, the event of 7-7 London bombing. And exactly. you know, I, I realized that a lot of these elites, uh, they believe in numerology or numerical significance, associated with events. So I started researching, and uh, I realized that these were occult numbers, and they led me back to Crowley. Yeah, you know, that's interesting. Uh, that was sort of, uh, with other people I've talked about, uh, as far as, as New World Order, uh, this idea uh, concerns, I, it, uh, there's been a few people I've run into personally who have done uh, uh, research. Uh, we live in the information age. And uh, to, to get out there and do this research is now uh, uh, more possible, uh, thanks to the Internet and, and, other, and other means. Uh, a lot of people, uh, thank goodness, are, are kind of going down this road of exploring uh, the, the truth and knowledge that's out there about, uh, about world events, about the elites. Uh, we talked about the Bilderberg Group on our show here. We talked about uh, uh, the Club of Rome. Uh, the Council on Foreign Relations, these types of uh, uh, tops of the pyramid type organizations, if you want to, if you want to call it that. Uh, 
so uh, that's that's really interesting to to see uh, that road that you've gone down, and which ultimately led to this book, which. Uh, uh, I, I haven't read the entire book. I, I do intend on getting the entire thing. Um, I, I have read some excerpts and, and, and so forth, I have to say. Uh, so from what I've seen so far, um, absolutely mind-blowing stuff. And uh, I'm uh, really interested in, in, in learning more and getting more out of, uh, out of what you've done here, which is, which is fantastic. Um, I guess um, starting off with, Crowley, um, tell us a little bit about his childhood education uh, and and some of the things that influenced him into I think what most people when they hear the name of Aleister Crowley uh, pretty much associate him with more of the Satanic Order things like that. Uh, give us a give us a general discussion about uh, uh, his his upbringing. Okay, he was born in uh, Leamington Spa in England in 1875. He passed away in 1947, so he lived 72 years. He uh, was very well educated. He come from a, uh, came from a wealthy brewing family that uh, made a much, uh, lots of money in brewing. It was estimated by one researcher that it, his inheritance, he inherited about $20 million in our, uh, in our terms. So he was very wealthy. He was tutored in Hebrew and, and Latin and Greek. Uh, when he was growing up, he went to the best pub, uh, what they call public schools in England, but basically the best private schools in England. And uh, he was uh, raised by two parents who were affiliated with a very, um, what I would ter term, fundamentalist Christian faith, which was the exclusive brethren. Uh, he was only allowed to read the Bible up until the age of 12 when his father passed away. So he grew up in a um, very regimented Christian uh, household. He also went to these public schools or private schools in our parlance in England that were extremely brutal. They uh, uh, used to beat the kids. He explains a lot of his time there as uh, you know being punished. He had a six-month punishment once that almost killed him. Uh, it caused his kidneys to start to shut down. He had to be taken out of school. So he had had a uh, an upbringing that was very uh, rough. He called it a boyhood in hell. Was his uh, time at these uh, schools that he lived at. Uh, he explains one of his beatings that he got was 15 minutes of prayer, 15 strokes of the cane, 15 minutes of prayer, 15 more strokes, and more prayer on top of it. So there's this. I think uh, he associated violence with a lot of these Christian, nominally, you know, nominally Christian schools. Yeah, um, yeah. So he, you know, he uh, he exhibited elements of cruelty at a very early age. He uh, he talked about a time where he killed a cat just to see if it had nine lives, and he talks about it. He wrote, by the time he was 47, he wrote his Confessions, which was an autobiography. It was 800 pages long, and he uh, went in detail about his life, his his upbringing, etc. Although you know one can't take it um, as fully truthful, I think that he was being fairly honest. He probably didn't expect too many people to read it. Uh, as he was growing up, he was he was able to go to Cambridge, one of the top schools in England. Uh, with the elite, so he attended there at the Trinity College there with the same kind of luminaries such as Francis Bacon, Isaac Newton, Charles, Charles Darwin. Uh, so he saw himself, and he really was part of the elite. He was an aristocrat. He was uh, a uh, very well-read person, and uh, he was influenced by Sir Richard Burton, who was kind of an adventurer. And it's important to also recognize that. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. 
Oh, well, it's important to recognize that Crowley came of age in the late 19th century, just as England was uh, pretty much dominating the world. I mean, that was kind of their form of a new world order. The sun never never set on the English Empire. The uh, you know there was just openings in knowledge, transportation, and communications that to somebody like Crowley, he was able to really become an adventurer, kind of like Sir Richard Burton. He was able to travel around the world twice uh, at a time when that was very unusual and uh, really kind of drink in a lot of uh, foreign ideas such as, you know, yoga from Hinduism and um, he was he was uh, commonly in Arabic country. So this wasn't somebody who was like a hermetic hermetic figure who wrote books. He was also a literateur. He thought of himself as a poet. Back then he thought of himself as, I think he said, I was white hot on three things, poetry, climbing, and magic. He was um, uh, an avid mountain climber. Uh, he did that for his health, but as he uh, it, aged, he became. It, I'm sorry. It's it's interesting to 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 see how uh, uh, how ultimately it, when you hear his name today and you go back and you, and you you do the research on on his uh, his upbringing, um, a very uh, self aware, very. Uh, um, uh, intriguing and and uh, somebody who's uh, motivated intrinsically to go out and find his own kind of way, his own his own knowledge. Um, I, I understand that his mother called him the Beast. That's correct. This, yes, he. This is pretty much where he got he, where he got this name, and, and I guess he was called that throughout his life. Pretty much, sure. That, yeah, he took it upon himself. He referred to himself as the Great Beast in all different types of languages. One of the terms he used was Tomega Therion, which is the Great Beast. When he wrote his, there was another kind of biographical book he wrote called The Diary of a Drug Fiend, and the the lead character is, is basically him, and the name of that character is the Great Lion. So he associated himself with a lot of the darker elements of Revelations. You know, he said even of himself, he said he preferred the dragon, the false prophet, the beast, and the scarlet woman. And he called his consorts, uh, these women who would help him out in his later magical rituals, as scarlet women. So, yeah, the beast was what his mother did call him, and uh, he took it. He took it. He kind of interpreted it as it's very religious, uh, something associated with the Book of Revelation. And he really kind of yes. lived it. He was a, a, a huge blasphemer as he got older. Some of his writings or some I, – I couldn't even put him in the book. My book's a little rough with references to him because I tried to be as honest and truthful, but some of the blasphemies were so vicious that uh, I could not write them down in the book, even though – some people have read it and said, oh, this is too much. But That's, uh, that's, that's understandable. You know, I uh, doing the uh, uh, research I've, I've done uh, from your work, uh, I noticed even in the excerpts you put in there, um, with his uh, poetry and everything like, and 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 everything as far as his writings uh, coming out of his experiences at, at these schools in England. Uh, yeah, some of it is is just it's absolutely overwhelming. It's pretty harsh material uh, uh, for anybody out there who is uh, listening in. If you go if you go in and uh, you uh, and you get uh, William's book. Uh, it, it starts off pretty in depth and uh, gets gets right into uh, this character, uh, this this person, 
uh, Aleister Crowley, and uh, from these these schools in England, um, I they were known, like you said, they were known for their for their harsh cruelty. Um, a lot of things, you know, when we look at uh, Ireland, England, uh, Scotland, and we look at uh, the Catholic Church influence there uh, in in the early part of the 1900s. Uh, what was going on in these schools with with the abuse and things like that? Uh, Absolutely, you know, you wonder uh, how somebody would endure that and not have the attitude that Aleister Crowley came out with uh, and and lived on through his life uh, and and kind of turning his cheek towards these uh, Christian uh, views and studies and uh, beliefs. Um, it, you know, it, it almost takes somebody with strength to not turn the other cheek, but to, uh, uh, uh get out there, do the research and, and, you know, uh, possibly go, uh, in to more of the Christian path, etc. Uh, but I gotta tell you, this is, Aleister Crowley is just one of the most intriguing figures, uh, I think I've read upon, um, as far as his, as far as his magical practices, um, tell us a little bit about that. Uh, uh, understand he was uh, avid in uh, uh, ritual, uh, ritual magic. Yes, for sure. He, uh, you know, when he was at Cambridge, he decided not to pursue. He was interested in chess. He didn't want to pursue that as a career. He was interested in climbing. That wasn't there wasn't much of a career for that. Uh, he thought about public service in the political realm. He didn't want to do that. But what he did, because he was a man of wealth. Uh, is dedicated his whole life to the occult. So right after he left Cambridge without obtaining a degree, he got involved in a magical society that some people are familiar with. It's called the Golden Dawn. Uh, the Golden Dawn was a late 19th century magical organization. It had some other notable figures such as uh, W.B. Yeats, who was a you know famous poet. Um, his most notable poem is uh, The Second Coming, which is you know kind of a mytho-religious poem. It's very interesting. Anyway, so he got involved in the Golden Dawn, and that's really where he got most of his training. He uh, took on the, the kind of elements of what they taught, and the Golden Dawn back then was considered irregular masonry. It typically drew from the Masonic orders, so it was kind of like an advance on masonry. Most of the three founders were all masons. Uh, it was also influenced by the Rosicrucian Society, so it was kind of a, a melting pot of all the occult knowledge uh, that was out there in the world back in the late 19th century. So that was a training ground for Crowley. He really advanced up through the grades uh, that were set out by the Golden Dawn and uh, spent all of his time engaging in magical ritual. And it was kind of an advanced advancement of rituals that were based on masonry and Rosicrucian grades. Uh, there was the, the primary figure in the Golden Dawn was a man by the name of McGregor Mathers. Mathers was somebody who, in my opinion, Crowley uh, emulated most of his life. Mathers never worked. He spent most of his time uncovering grimoires in the libraries of Paris and London. And uh, he took on kind of the magical, outer magical uh, views in, in the sense that he dressed like a magician. He carried around, uh, you know, magical implements. He was constantly conducting rituals. So Crowley really drew a lot from him. Uh, he was a scholar and a gentleman by his opinion. And Yeats also was very influenced by him. There were two books that McGregor Mathers wrote. Uh, one was about the Kabbalah, 
and the other one with the Goetia, which is a uh, the lesser key of Solomon, which are still prevalent in uh, magical practices today. And those are two that can be traced back to McGregor Mather. So there's a heavy influence on the of the Kabbalah or Kabbalic uh, outlook. So uh, Crowley took all he could from the Golden Dawn, and um, he was largely involved in ruining the organization. It broke apart and then reformed under different names. But uh, he also learned a lot from masonry, became a 33rd degree mason, arguably. He also was uh, John Yarker, who was a uh, very important mason back then. I think gave him the higher degrees of 90 and 95th degree of Memphis and Mizraim. He then started his own, after writing quite an in-depth amount of literature on the occult, he started his own magical order called the AA. It was Argentum Astrum, which means the silver star. And uh, he he basically created kind of a magical religion based on certain practices and disciplines. And in 1914, somebody from an organization called the OTO, it was Ordo Templi Orientis, uh, visited Crowley and claimed that Crowley had stole their ideas. Uh, but in reality, what happened is Crowley and the, this uh, German magical order came to the same conclusion, which was same conclusion or kind of discovery, I would say, which is the involvement of sexual practices in uh, rituals. So they both came to to find that uh, things could be enhanced with the rituals by the use of sex, and also Crowley uh, thought that it could be enhanced by the use of drugs as well. But uh, so the that's, Crowley that's was interesting. Uh, when we thought when when you mentioned the uh, uh, the sexuality part of all of that, uh, right off the bat, I think the first thing I thought of was uh, the movie Eyes Wide Shut. Uh, uh, right. um, what other uh, I, you know we see influences of the occult throughout uh, popular culture in movies, TV shows. We even see these symbols used by the occult in advertisements uh, for uh, products, namely uh, mostly in the pharmaceutical uh, industry from what I've noticed. Uh, I, I tend to uh, not to uh, watch too much television, but when I do, I see these symbols pop up and uh, I think to myself, wow, most people watching television right now have no idea what they're looking at, especially when we see these uh, uh, these plots and these uh, settings in some of the in some of the films again like Eyes Wide Shut uh, and and you can I think you can go further on um, with that. Oh, there's tons uh, of references for sure. Yeah, uh, I mean I I think the most notable of the symbols would be the All Seeing Eye uh, is 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 prevalent and we have it on the back of our dollar bill. Um, looking at uh, uh, the this this Masonic um, aspect, uh, looking into, you know, first off, I'll, I will just say, listening to the story about Aleister Crowley and his upbringing um, reminds me a lot about uh, Adolf Hitler uh, and what he did. Uh, he had some wealth. He had some money. Uh, like Crowley, he was with a, a wealthy family. And you look at Adolf Hitler, uh, who uh, was, after his father died, he, he came into some money and spent his time kind of going down one avenue and then going down another and going down another and spent time in uh, these cities in Austria. Uh, he was a painter, did all this stuff. 
Uh, and it was uh, it was later on where he found his niche, and he just ran with it, uh, which we all know ended up being the, the Nazi party. Uh, and it seems like uh, Aleister Crowley uh, kind of followed this this similar path, interestingly enough, uh, kind of during the same time as as, as Adolf Adolf Hitler was was doing. Interestingly enough, um, yeah, and there know, there are talk. Yeah, so I'm sorry. Oh, I know that uh, Adolf Hitler was uh, involved in the occult. Uh, not to take anything away from Crowley at the moment, but uh, do you think that there is any influence uh, that Aleister Crowley may have played uh, into uh, Adolf Hitler uh, through possibly the Thule Society or the Theosophical Society? That's a good question. Uh, Crowley was very aware of the occult happenings all throughout the world. Uh, he was very well informed. He was very familiar with theosophical people. He was trying to always get in contact with them. Crowley was a type of person that people outside of the occult really would not really understand in the sense that he believed that you should just join every occult organization. Crowley was not strictly a Mason. He was a Mason, an OTO member, a member of the AA. He was arguably a member of uh, Witches Covens. So he was not afraid to cover all bases. And there are connections between Crowley being in uh, Germany in the early 30s. And most of his writings, you know, he emphasized the primary word of his religion was Thelema, which is Greek for will. And uh, Hitler also believed in, in the power of the will. He, there was a film by Lenny Riefenstahl called Tri Triumph of the Will. Triumph correct? of the Will, yep. Yep. Yeah, so, and, you know, one of the aspects of people who knew Hitler said that he had an overbearing willpower. You know, other than other, you know, he had a good memory and he uh, was, you know, relatively well informed. But he said that he had a willpower to overcome. And that was one of the things that, that Crowley emphasized was this uh, notion of the human will. So they were similar in that regard. They also uh, had a connection. One of Crowley's early followers was a person by the name of J.F.C. Fuller. He, was, uh, he came up with the idea of mass tank attacks. Uh, as a breakthrough as far as military uh, procedures. And uh, it wasn't adopted by the British. They were more of a seafaring nation, but the Germans were heavily influenced by his ideas. And he was one of two Englishmen invited to Hitler's 50th birthday. So there's a direct correlation between Crowley to J.F.C. Fuller to Hitler right there that a lot of historians and people wouldn't emphasize because they don't see Crowley as important. But they should, because Crowley's ideas and Hitler's ideas were almost the same as far as his idea of an ideal state, about racism, and about uh, you know his uh, his view of humanity. He was he had a you know he Crowley said that uh, you know we should have no compunction in utilizing the natural qualities of the bulk of mankind. We do not insist on trying to train sheep to hunt, foxes, or lecture on history. We will look after their physical well-being and enjoy their wool and mutton. In this way, we shall have a contented class of slaves who accept conditions of existence as they really are and enjoy life with the quiet wisdom of cattle. So he had a real slave mentality and a neo-Darwin. And, and Hitler basically ran a slave state. He had huge gulags where uh, if he didn't uh, send people, you know, it's kind of an awful story, but if he didn't send people to death, he was working them in hard labor camps, you know. So he had yeah. this whole notion of a slave mentality. And one of the common phrases that Crowley used was the slave shall serve. Uh, that was common in his, uh, one of his books. It was the intro to one of his books. When he, when he categorized and 
put together his uh, AA, his magical order. He took everything that he written, he had written, and categorized them by book. So he called them Lieber One, Lieber Ninety Three, all these numbers that are important to him. But Lieber just means book. But in his book Seventy Seven, and here you see the Seventy Seven again. The intro to book Seventy Seven says, "The slave shall serve," and he called that book Seventy Seven the rights of man. And it's basically the idea of human, the loose, what I would consider the Luciferian idea of human freedom, which is, you know, yeah. do what you want. It. And if anybody gets in your way, kill them. I mean, literally, Crowley said to kill them if they get in your way. And uh, that was one of Crowley's biggest dictums, or his primary phrase was, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. And that's an 11-letter uh, phrase, I mean, an 11-word phrase with 11 syllables. So you see the 11 pop up again. But uh, so there yeah. is the will, you know, do what thou wilt. So that this whole notion, so where there may not have been, and there are people who have argued that Crowley um, was in contact with Hitler, but I couldn't find those historical uh, connections yet. And, I, you know, I'm still, you know, I finished the book, but I'm still kind of trying to find little holes in my in my understanding. But uh, yeah, he said, I'm sure that he there's a... I mean, could we expect a, a part two, possibly, to uh, your current book? It seems like there's uh, just a, there's so much out there. Yeah, I think that I'll probably do another edition in time. But I actually, the book I actually had a significant amount of other material that I was going to include that I took out, and that that material was really all the people who were influenced by Crowley, and it's a long list. So I just decided, you know, I'm going to do this and uh, try not to. Uh, you know, a lot of Crowley, Crowley biographers whitewash him. They don't talk about some of his darker elements. So I just wanted to do a, a kind of, uh, you know, finish my biography of him and make the connection to 9-11 and the New World Order fairly apparent and make that argument. And then uh, I just cut off all the other stuff. So my next book will be The Children of the Beast, which is all the people that have been influenced by Crowleyism, like Charles Manson, uh, Jack Parsons in California, uh, L. Ron Hubbard and Timothy Leary, a lot of people don't know those connections. Robert Anton Wilson, Kinsey, who was the sexologist, uh, yep. Jimmy Page of Led Zeppelin, Ozzy Osbourne, all these guys know Crowley. They just don't, you know, publicize or, or their, you know, their influence uh, by Crowley. So, and it's, it's important because that just shows how much Crowley's influence has suffused our 20th century culture, at least in the Western world. Exactly. Uh, you mentioned... Uh you mentioned this Luciferian um, ideal. Uh, try and sum that up for us uh, about what this Luciferian, at, at its base root, is. Well, that's a good question. I think that uh, you know, it's. I think that in Crowley's cases, in Crowley's situation, he really thought that he was uh, he was a Luciferian. He believed in the devil, and he was a follower of the devil, and his views were. Uh, you know, this whole notion of a slave state, uh, he believed in the feudal, feudal system was the ideal system. Uh, he believed in kind of destroying what he thought were tainted stock, like getting, you know, killing off the unfit, kind of just like Hitler. Uh, so as far as Luciferianism, and, and, you know, that's the interesting thing about Crowley. He wasn't just a, an occultist, but he believed in the political, you know, uh, application of his ideas. So, uh, as far as you know, his Luciferianism—it's all based on these societies. And a lot of these societies that they're some are blatantly 
Luciferian, but he said that at the AA, for example, the head of the AA is the devil. So that was his organization. Uh, the OTO has an outer head of the order, and you can imagine what the inner head of the order is. And then, you know, at the higher levels of Freemasonry, that's when you really get into kind of the Luciferian tradition, as explained by Albert Pike. Yeah, you know, this uh, I've talked about uh, Freemasonry on the show many times and uh, trying to get information out to people about what Freemasonry really is. And when you get down to the hardcore depth of studying it, um, it really leads you down a path that sometimes you feel yourself being drawn to because it's so interesting, but at the same time, uh, you, you sometimes feel yourself kind of leaning back from it for a little bit or taking a break from it because it is so in-depth. It's stuff that is just, uh, it's not mainstream. It's, it is a cult, a cult, you know, meaning, you know, things that are hidden. Um, the whole idea of, of this Luciferianism, uh, I ran across a video of uh, Bill Cooper, uh, who was a gentleman that we all know was involved with uh, a radio show for many years uh, exploring this idea of the New World Order, trying to alert people to the fact of a, uh, a police state coming in, especially to the United States, but throughout the world. And uh, his... his uh, uh, his summary of what this Luciferian idea is, is as related to uh, the Freemasonic Order uh, was absolutely mind-blowing. And uh, he mentions it getting back to uh, the Garden of Eden, where, you know, growing up in a Christian household, we are taught and, uh, and believe that um, in the Garden of Eden you have Adam and Eve uh, who were put there, uh, by God, made by God, in the garden. They were given the garden, and they were tenders of the garden, and they were free and blameless. And um, uh, uh, people who had never ever dreamt of uh, feeling pain or suffering, and they were kept in the garden uh, by God, and God told them one thing, not to eat from the tree of knowledge. And... Uh, from the Freemasonic order, from what Bill Cooper kind of sums up, is that the Luciferian idea is that um, Adam and Eve were held prisoner by an unjust God in the Garden of Eden, and as Eve went to the Tree of Knowledge and was uh, uh, met by the, the, the snake or the, the reptile uh, there, uh, the uh, snake, or Satan as we know, uh, coaxed her into eating from the tree, telling her that uh, ye surely will not die. Uh, and he goes into the fact that, uh, Bill Cooper goes into the fact that uh, Eve is, is, is told that uh, God doesn't want you to eat from that tree because uh, it will give you knowledge, uh, the knowledge that he has, and... Uh, tells Eve that, you know, with this knowledge, you will be free from being imprisoned in the garden. And uh, yeah, that, that's, an in, no, that's an interesting idea because that's kind of uh, emulates exactly what Crowley thought about his concept of freedom and liberty was, you know, freedom from restriction. So freedom to be not free from kind of moral constraints. So it's kind of similar to that kind of view of, you know, the Garden and Eden story, Garden of Eden story. Yeah, uh, it, it just 
just amazing insight from from Bill Cooper with with some of that idea uh, these ideas. Bill Cooper's a, a totally different topic, different different show, but uh, I've mentioned it. It's a very of interesting. Like he, uh, you know, he what he achieved without the internet was for me uh, astonishing. I really uh, absolutely thought it was incredible, and also. Uh, he had that whole idea of mystery Babylon, like it's all connected. And the way Crowley kind of operated in the occult is it all really was connected. Some people may perceive these institutions as independent of each other, but a lot of time if somebody's involved in one occult organization, they're typically involved in a lot of others. So. Exactly. Um, so, uh, it, and it's, it's, uh, it's interesting also to note um, when we talk about Crowley, we talk about Freemasonry, we talk about this Luciferian idea. Excuse me. Um, uh, the term that it has kind of uh, come under, uh, which is humanism, this idea of humanism that we see in the Humanist Manifesto, uh, one and two, uh, and the influence that it's going into uh, the United Nations. Uh, some research we've done on the United Nations is that they are, uh, you know, some of the people there are heavily influenced by this idea of humanism, uh, which I think, uh, I mean, would you agree that humanism is, kind of reflects from that Crowleyism, like you said? Well, I think that they are, there's that same strain of like the man is God. Crowley thought that, uh, like going back to Book 77, another intro to Book 77 is that man is God or God is man. So, in the in a you know general humanism, uh, maybe not, but in a specific type of kind of human first or were first principle, Crowley definitely thought that man was it. So they didn't you know they it's a kind of rejection of the Almighty in my opinion, and uh, he uh, I think he had exemplified that he he called like uh, the devil the the angel who made gods of men. So. You see this kind of similar theme of, uh, you know, this this kind of that form of humanism. I I I, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it's it's just it's it's interesting to see the shape of our uh, world culture or U.S. culture today, uh, being in being sl- slowly ingrained with this idea of this humanism, uh, uh, and. Uh, not even knowing it, uh, it, it's, it's sometimes overwhelming, and it's, it, it sometimes answer, answers questions about why things are uh, in, in mainstream uh, media and, and, and all this. You know, man uh, uh, can save himself is the idea. And uh, we find this in the, uh, uh, these global warming efforts uh, and, and, and what have you. Uh, as far as the global warming thing is concerned, uh, uh, I know the, uh, the idea of this Gaia religion, uh, I call it a religion, it, that's debatable, but I personally call it a religion, uh, which is uh, Mother Nature, and uh, that uh, uh, man worships the creation and not the creator, and that right. uh, Mother, Mother Earth is, is uh, going to save us and all this all this stuff. Uh, it's absolutely uh, unbelievable, and uh, pretty much the reason why uh, we do this show is to kind of open people's eyes to the fact that, you know, man cannot save himself. And, you know, with the global warming thing, um, it's almost, 
it, it's almost uh, an, this strange thought pattern going around the world with the elites and these people going to like the conferences that they had in Copenhagen last December. Um, we try to control the earth. Uh, you know, if this thing is cyclical uh, over uh, thousands of years, earth has cycles, goes through ge geological cycles. And, and the fact that we think that we can actually stop the earth from going through a, uh, a cyclical pattern, I mean, that is, uh, it, that goes right into pride, uh, and into, and we, and pride leads itself into this humanist idea, and humanist leads its ideas into this Luciferian idea. Um, uh, it's just Great. amazing, these, these connections. Absolutely. It's just absolutely mind blowing. I totally um, agree with you. The humanism, humanism also is like the communist view, which is, you know, we can do it without God. And yeah, you're absolutely right. The humanism is the, the next step right there is to like, okay, we can make our own decisions. Man is God. There's no God but man. And these, yeah. what I would consider blasphemous statements and, and, and basing their lives upon those statements as well. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, and you know, we always tell people, if you're listening in, uh, we always tell people to uh, do your own research. Uh, we live in the information age, and uh, uh, the, this information is out there. Uh, you know, I always tell people, kill their television and, uh, you know, get online, do some research, educate yourself about the things going on in the world. Uh, we live in some extraordinary times right now, politically and uh, spiritually, and uh, um, uh, becoming knowledgeable about the world around you that is hidden. Uh, I think is, uh, or shall I say, hidden from the mainstream, uh, is one of those ways where uh, you will ultimately find truth in this uh, seemingly wicked world. Um, your book, uh, The Idea of September 11th, uh, you mentioned numerology and things of that nature. Uh, give us like a brief timeline uh, if, if, if you can, sum up like a brief timeline of possibly uh, this uh, Crowley influence into that day of September 11th. Well, that's a good question. So Crowley, you know, his, he basically created a religion. It was a Luciferian religion. Uh, he emphasized certain numbers. He used the Kabbalah. And his two main words in his, uh, his kind of uh, approach were Thelema and Agave. Those are both Greek words, but in the Kabbalah, they both equal 93. And uh, he, was, he, was, uh, he was interested in contacting entities. One of the main entities that he contacted was by the name of Awas, and it translated to him the Book of the Law. And the trans in Hebrew, uh, the, under Hebrew Kabbalah, Awas equals 93 again. So under his system, the 93s pop up quite frequently. Then you have his 77, which uh, Liber Oz, or 77 equates to OZ, which is a whole different, you know, occult uh, connection. But uh, he had his book 77, which was the rights of man. He also 77 are the 77 names of the devil in Anton Sandor LaVey's uh, the Satanic Bible. So those two numbers are very important. And then 11 are is like the conjunction of the hexagram and the pentagram. That those two together equal 11. 11 is the number of perdition. Uh, that even goes back to the traditions uh, involved in the Golden Dawn, and it's also the 11 letters of his, you know, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law, and uh, 
So 11s always pop up. Well, I recognize that all four plane flight numbers on the date of September 11th were 11, 77, 93, and 175. And 175 in Crowley's uh, system that he created in the AA, 175 is uh, how you do a ritual to adhere yourself to a god by adoration. So you choose your god and then you do the ritual to kind of adhere yourself to his principles. So that's that uh, sounds that's like the idea in Islam uh, with death. You, you know, in Islam, the belief of dying and uh, going on to meet uh, all the uh, virgins, basically. Yeah. So it's uh, so those numbers suffused the events, and that that event you know changed our world. It was like a push forward for what could be called the new world order, a new state. Uh, a state of global warfare. Uh, we lost a lot of our rights through what was called the Patriot Act, which was not patriotic at all. Uh, we had elections that were stolen. Uh, we had a large, large amount of these bombings that took place. We had this fake terror, well, the war on terror, which is some kind of weird mind control. Uh, you know, new uh, 1984, uh, George Orwell assault through our mass media. So we have a controlled mass media as well. So uh, for me, 9-11 was a crucial event of our lives. You know, I, I write about it. I reference Shakespeare in my book. I said, for this revolt of thine, methinks, is like another fall of man. Like, that's the way I viewed 9-11. Uh, and it's just a complete mind control to actually assume that 19, 19 terrorists somehow hijacked the most sophisticated defense system in the, in the world's history and somehow pulled that off. So uh, for me, 9-11 is a complete magic trick. It's a fraud, and it also has occult uh, connections. Yeah, I mean, that ultimately, from what you've summed up so far about this numerology uh, coming out of Crowley, um, it's almost, you know, it's, 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 how could it be a coincidence that the flight numbers all match up to these occult symbols and these this occult numerology. How could it be a coincidence? And I, I think just that's don't the know. We need to ask. You know. I agree. I mean, I've tried to like I'm an as an armchair statistician. If you took like a, a, a pool of 175 numbers and then ascribed the top four to, like the most important as they were in Crowley's system, and then you know what's the chance of those four happening on that date out of 175? In just a simple equation there, it's infinitesimal, the likelihood of those four important numbers showing up right then, you know. So, you know, our, uh, in my opinion, statistics is more art than science, but still, it's uh, it's very unlikely. Yeah, and, and I, I know uh, many people have questions about 9-11, uh, questions in, in how the buildings fell. Uh, building 7 pops up all the time. Uh, British News, uh, from what I've done, aired the uh, uh, news about the buildings falling about 20 minutes before they even fell. Uh, and, and there's just all these little tiny nuances on that day that when you get down to the root of it and, and, and you look at it, it, they don't add up like you would imagine that they should. So I, I think it's in human nature to ask questions and uh, uh, kind of put these connections together. And it, 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 
I, I think it's something that uh, the mainstream media has really messed up on uh, with, with silencing uh, these questions. Uh, it, it, we should be allowed to, to question our, 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 our government in, in any matters. Uh, I mean, that's just what, our, what the United States is about, is, is about questioning and about uh, getting into uh, the topics that the people want to talk about and, and explore. And the, the whole 9-11 Commission uh, book and, and report and all that, uh, I mean, it, it, you, it's almost like a lost read, really. Uh, and they don't, they don't really uh, uh, reveal uh, much detail into these questions that we have and uh, leading into um, uh, this influence by numerology and these occult masters like uh, Alistair Crowley. Um, I agree. I mean, I, I think that the mass media isn't really there to inform. It's to misinform, and it serves uh, the interests of a largely our oligarchical society, you know, they back up the mass, the large corporations and uh, the political elite. So for me, they're, it's a totally corrupt and vile uh, media system right now as far as information goes. Yeah, and I, I think, uh, I forget who it was, but uh, they, uh, uh, it was a, uh, a talk show radio host, um, mainstream surprisingly uh, uh, refers to uh, the mainstream media not as the mainstream media but as the propaganda matrix or the propaganda machine which if you watch enough television that's what you're going to get you're going to get fed information it's just like going to university it's just like going to college it's just like going to work if you work in a uh, uh, corporation around the world interestingly enough these uh, the corporations around the world, uh, it's amazing to see how structured uh, they have become when it comes to uh, this whole idea of a new, this new world order uh, with its uh, top-down pyramid shape. Um, and uh, uh, I think David Icke puts it best. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with David Icke's work, but uh, I think he puts it best when he says uh, we are taught to believe that the, the power – of the pyramid is at the top uh, when it's not. We're we the ones at the lower are the ones holding it up, uh, right. holding that top of the pyramid up. And uh, uh, David Icke has done uh, a great job of getting uh, some of this information out there and waking people up to uh, to the reality of the structure of power in the world. And uh, I, it 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 kind of just blows me away when when we. When uh, I talk about the, the structure of power in the world on the show, and I talk with people in, in public and uh, family friends, and how could you not believe that there's a, a larger power structure in the world when every day you go into work and there's a CEO of the company, next down from him is the, the VP, and next down from him is the uh, so forth and so forth, and you go right down the pyramid, and how we would not be able to recognize that larger structure in a global uh, kind of quote unquote corporation uh, is is uh, is nearsighted, I think. And uh, uh, I agree. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's absolutely mind blowing. Uh, some of this stuff. Um, the New World Order. Uh, we hear this term. Uh, I know it has other terms such as the uh, uh, kind of the uh, 
New Order of the Ages, uh, which we get from Freemasonry. Um, in your book, do you get into uh, the political aspects of this New World Order, maybe stemming out of the League of Nations, etc., after World War II? Not much. I just kind of emphasized what Crowley was was up to and how he influenced the ideas of uh, what I consider the New World Order, the notion of a slave state, a feudal system, which I think we're going into. And, you know, other people like John Coleman have, have uh, emulated that same, like in his book, The Committee of 300, he recognizes a feudal system. So you see these correlations. Uh, you also see correlations between uh, Crowley and uh, people like Aldous Huxley, and who's Aldous Huxley's brother was Julian Huxley, the head of UNESCO. So uh, Crowley actually painted uh, Aldous Huxley's portrait, and Aldous Huxley wrote a book called Do What You Will, which is very similar to Crowley's dictum. So you see that his ideas or his connections uh, are there with people who, uh, you know, for me, Brave New World was almost like a prophetic book, not just like 1984, but there was also that kind of lack of warning, like 1984 was something, I mean, Brave New World was something like an ideal state. And you, we remember Aldous Huxley's speech to Berkeley where he talked about, you know, doping the public and making people love their servitude. And I think that uh, you can see people loving their servitude in an uh, American state where people, you know, one-fifth of the population is on antidepressants or hooked on yeah. drugs and uh, you see constant lies put out by the mass media, lies about the war, lies about the food you eat, lies about the financial system that you're involved in. And so uh, I just see like Crowley as an influence. I don't see him as an architect, but more of like an inspiration. And you have to have that evil will to do that to your fellow man. So for me, he had that. He believed in an aristocratic two-tiered society, and that's kind of what you see today is a, uh, you know, the top, the people at the top are getting richer while the poor are just being thrust down into degradation and enslavement. He said, uh, there's only one solution to pick out the diamonds from the clay, cut them, polish them, and set them as they deserve. A t a deserve attempt to no idiotic experiments with the muck of the mind. That's like the average person. You will observe that I'm advocating an aristocratic revolution, and so I am. And you can kind of even see the you know, the New World Order, I think uh, the guy who wrote the book on uh, the Bilderberg Society, he said, the, uh, Daniel Estelin was his name, but he said, the New World Order is the Old World Order, and that's really the truth. A lot of the New World Order formulations are from old-line families in the United States and uh, Europe, you know, pulling the strings on corporations and media and really dominating uh, everything we've seen, at least in the last 10 years and, and more than that. And it moves against at least our, what I thought were our ideas as Americans, which is egalitarianism, uh, meritocracy, dispersion of power. Uh, you know, we, the, the formulation of this country was based on state-federal uh, bifurcation, three tripartite part of government. So the guys who for, the, the founding fathers who formulated our country were aware of you don't want to have too much centralized power in anything and you want to have different parts of the governments fighting against each other. Well, we see that move against that type of, uh, you know, uh, tripartite government into, you know, what was called uh, the imperial presidency, or I forgot what Cheney talked about it as. But So I see yeah. 
that kind of desire for a feudal state, the top-down, the slave shall serve, aristocratic. Uh, and Curley was an unabashed aristocrat. He really had no idea or no concept of actually having a real job. He had always relied upon his inheritance, and when he ran out on that, he basically was a parasite towards his followers, and they had to send him money for him to survive. So he really had no 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 correlation to anybody middle class or working class. And uh, so I see that as uh, an influence on our present kind of political environment in a global sense. Absolutely. Crowley as the whisper in the ear of the elites directing and guiding policy, uh, global policy and state policy over the past decades and uh, uh absolutely influencing this, this idea of this new world order. Um, and on past shows, I've just kind of reiterated to people about uh, the year 1989, which is, to me personally, one of the most interesting years uh, in my lifetime. Uh, and, you know, we are taught that 1989 was the fall of the Soviet Union, the fall of the Berlin Wall, and the end of communism, where really it was a beginning it was uh, a beginning of this new world order. And George Bush Sr. outlines that in his uh, speech to the nation. Uh, and uh, from there, for, uh, from going forward from there, uh, we see uh, UN developments into Agenda 21, which is nothing but a, a, a seemingly a new world order constitution outlined uh, in sustainable growth and sustainable uh, ideas as far as uh, uh, nature is concerned. So this, there's this, uh, this nature input, and uh, it's interesting about nature, how you can get into some of this uh, magic that Crowley was involved in, and uh, uh, leading up through what we have today, which, uh, which you've been talking about with uh, these, these, these influences in today's culture, um, uh, and, and uh, the, the public policies that are going on now definitely, definitely, definitely influenced by uh, Aleister Crowley and his ideas on uh, will, and like you said at the beginning of the show, uh, this idea of the will and uh, do with that wilt, uh, this, this idea of being free from constraints. But funny enough, uh, free from constraints, uh, but having the... Uh, the, the, the top of the pyramid elites uh, outlining uh, how we feel about our current constraints, uh, trickling down into everyday life uh, with how we perceive going to work, getting our, getting our uh, uh, stuff done for the day, and going down the list of uh, our routinized existence, uh, which kind of ultimately leaves us blind and in the dark uh, unless you go out and you do the research like you've done uh, for your book. And that was an interview I did on GB Radio concerning my book, Prophet of Evil, Aleister Crowley, 9-11, and the New World Order. The rest of the interview can be found on my YouTube channel at William Ramsey Investigates. I also just wanted to let people know that my documentary, The Smiley Face Killers, who is abducting, torturing, and murdering young college-age men in the U.S. and U.K., is available now on Vimeo. So all you have to do is go into Vimeo, type in my name, William Ramsey, the movie will pop up. Thank you for listening.